0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very much looking forward to my conversation with Dr. Abiodun Alao about his book titled Rage and Carnage in the Name of God by Duke from Duke University Press, just out in 2022, um, which is a really interesting book, a really important book, I think, that looks at um, religious violence in Nigeria uh, through a really important lens. It's not focusing only on Islam or only on Boko Haram or only on one thing, um, but instead assessing Christianity, Islam, and traditional religions in Nigeria and trying to unpack why all of them have been associated with violence um, in the post-independence period in Nigeria. So Dr. Alao, I'm very excited to welcome you to the podcast to help us understand this topic through your book.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Could you start us off, please, by introducing yourself a bit and explaining why you decided to write this book?
0: Yes, thank you very much. I, I think the best thing would be to introduce myself in the context of the book and in the context of what we're likely to discuss um, about the book. Well, of course, my name is Abiodun Um I'm in Nigeria by birth. I'm Yoruba by ethnicity. Christian by religion, and an academic by the desire to earn a living. Um, I'm presently a professor of African Studies at King's College, London. Um, I think that's uh, just a brief introduction of who I am. As to the second part of your question concerning why I decided to write the book, um, I think the main motivation really came out of this strong and the strong determination to understand the context of religious violence in Nigeria and to try as much as possible to situate it within the context of a broader realities by not trying to see it from the perspective of the general tendency to see it as a as something that has to do with a particular religion because as I tried to, explained in the book all the key religions in nigeria in one form or the other uh, can be associated with with violence so it's, it's it was a strong determination to understand the the complexities associated with um religious violence and how the complexities have interwoven with the realities of day-to-day existence in nigeria that motivated me to write in the book
1: mm. I think that that encapsulates very well what the book does, um, looking at the different religions from different perspectives as well. So I'm excited to kind of get into um, a bunch of the things in the book. And one of the things I'd love to start with is, as you mentioned, kind of complexity, right? Because one of the difficulties with assessing religious violence is often definitions and terminology. Um, And this can be particularly true when we sort of think of things that have been in the news a lot, where we kind of throw around words without maybe thinking about them. So I was really pleased in the book that you discuss what you mean by the term radicalization um, to kind of ground the discussion. So I was wondering if you could um, tell us a bit about that here.
0: Yes, thank you very much. I realised that in a situation like the one I was trying to capture in the book, um there would be the need for a definition of operational terms and then um, definitely radicalization uh, came out as a keyword that um that needed to be to be contextualized and and properly defined um likely because the word has been used and abused and then um, also because it, 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 it's something that has a multiplicity of meanings. And so I I felt the most. The first thing to do would be to um, define radicalization as I see it in the context of uh, my objective. So to answer your question, I think radicalization can be defined as a process of strict adherence to a belief system that involves the use of violent... Non-conventional means to aspire and effect a change along the lines of what is considered an ideal past or an envisioned future in the society. So, so basically, it's a, it's a it's a phenomenon that has a nostalgic view of the past, an unacceptable feeling of the present, and an expectant view of the future, um, ambition along a, a particular past. So, um. Broken down uh, further, uh, this definition raises quite a lot of issues. But in essence, radicalization is a process, not an occurrence. It's a process with identifiable faces. Um, uh, it's not an event. And um, as it is, it's, it's, it's a dynamic formed by a complex interaction of multiple events, actors, relationships belief, and and institutions. Um, I think the most important thing I need to really point out there really is. um, So so consequently, uh, a radical group can be seen as a group that professes a belief system that really rejects the status quo and actively aspires to an ideal past or an envisioned future and is embedded in the paradox of past as future Uh, uh, and change as a return to the past. So, in essence, what I can say is that radicalization should be seen as a process. Um, So, if it's a process, then it has faces. It it, it needs to be pointed out that uh, there are faces to which an individual becomes radicalized. And so, this is one thing that I think we need to take into consideration. Mm.
1: Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about the phases that you see in this process?
0: Yes, I can try.
1: Um,
0: I think the first phase in any radicalization process is the perception of a sense of grievance. Um, It doesn't necessarily need to be true or not, but it's just the perception the perception of a sense of grievance. That is the first stage, first stage in any radicalization process. Then the second stage is the uh, is a process of adopting a narrative that speaks to these grievance. Um, so you first perceive it, is, uh, you first have a perception of a sense of grievance, then you adopt uh, something that... Uh, um, a narrative that speaks to that difference. And finally, you then move to the group dynamics. That's when you now collate other people that think along the same way, that feel along the same way, and then you have a process of um, forming a coherent group that can contextualize and express what you identify to be this perceived grievance. That makes
1: sense. Thank you for explaining um, the definition and the phases. Um, I'd like to move now to kind of this, almost this idea of kind of past and future, Um, because one of the arguments that you make is uh, the book, as I said in the introduction, primarily focuses on the post-independence period uh, in Nigeria, so essentially uh, now and the last few decades. Um, But you make a really uh, convincing argument that the colonial history of Nigeria uh, does help us understand patterns of violence around religion that have happened since independence. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us about these links that you see between the colonial period and after independence?
0: Yes, thank you very much. I think we really need to um, put this in perspective. Um, Colonialism in a number of ways uh, can be linked to the post-independence almost all post-independence activities uh, in the country but looking into to to the case of religious violence i think the first thing to know about colonialism is the nature of the process itself Um, the forceful bringing together of groups that have different histories and antecedents to form nation states was the first recipe for what is often uh, considered as the inevitability of instability. Uh, the first bringing together of people uh, created what turns out to be a situation where instability ultimately will be inevitable. And uh, we, it, 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 when different people are brought together to form nation states, of course, there are bound to be problems, and these problems don't expire. If the Scots are the English are still discussing on how best they are going to relate after three hundred years of coming together, nothing different should be expected from the Yorubas and and uh, and ourselves in Nigeria or between the Igbos or between or, or indeed any part of any part of Africa. So the first bringing together of disparate groups to form nation state must be considered as a first stage of the uh, of, of of what. May be considered as uh, the antecedents to to uh, the issue of post independence um, um, crisis over religion. The so apart from the process itself, even the the the, the, the activities engaging in colonialism created their own set of complications. Um, the Muslim believe that. One of the main motive of British colonialism was to spread, was to stop the spread of Islam. Although this is something that has been contested by many renowned scholars, that but but many Muslim believes that this was the motive of colonialism, that colonialism itself was was largely to stop the spread of of Islam. But as I as I, as I, as I pointed out, this is something that has been contested by 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 other renowned scholars. Uh, So, Muslims came into post-independence Nigeria having the belief that colonial rule uh, gave the uh, Christians takeoff advantages. Hmm. Uh, And this takeoff advantages was interpreted by many Muslims as something worth redressing. So almost all the time, um, during interviews and discussions I had in the course of the book, I came across Muslims who said, well, um, well, I'm I'm not talking about ordinary Muslims, even Muslim who are opinion leaders in the country saying, I went to a Christian school because the Christian school was the only Bible school in my locality at the time of my of, of, of my of my going to school and this Christian school I was taught how to pray as a Christian I, I sang Christian songs I did this despite the fact that I was a Muslim in the assembly we prayed we did this so many Muslims believe that Christianity had a takeoff advantage and that they are the attempt to redress this takeoff advantage, was a key one that that, that created that that created um, quite, quite a number of complications. So, in terms of finding out the ways colonialism affected, first we have to take into consideration the nature of colonialism itself, and second, you have to take into consideration some of the policies that were uh, how some of the policies that took place during colonialism were interpreted by the Muslims. Whether that was intentional or not is a different thing entirely. But what is relevant now is not the validity of any statement, but the interpretation given to it and the perception given to it by those who felt aggrieved as a result of those policies. And that is where Muslim consideration uh, should be considered.
1: Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the point you were making about um, the process of radicalization, that it's not necessarily about whether or not the grievance is real, it's the perception of grievance.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, And I think uh, maybe I should just use this opportunity to say that. In my, uh, looking at at radicalization in Nigeria, or maybe indeed in in any part of the world, what is important is not actually the occurrence or perceived occurrence of anything, what is important is the way it is perceived. It is the perception that underlines the action, not necessarily the validity of it. And there have been uh, there have instances all over the place where perception actually led to, to crisis. There was a particular case in in, in northern Nigeria where a, 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 a woman used the Arabic manual of a transistor radio to clean to wipe the bomb of a child but someone who saw it thought that it was the Quran that was being used so that was the perception and and and, and it created quite a lot of complications and and uh, and misunderstandings it was so so the issue here is the way that the whole thing uh, was perceived, not the actual thing itself. And so in looking at radicalization uh, in any part of the world, really let, let me say, perception is a very valid issue that one has to take into consideration.
1: Well, so I'd love to expand that um, because in addition to the um, impact of colonialism um, on this perception and on um, kind of creating problems between religions, you also look at in the book um, how the origins of how Christianity came to Nigeria in the first place, how Islam came to Nigeria in the first place. Um, how do those sort of pasts influence violence between the two religions more recently?
0: Yes. I think the first thing to take into consideration here is the underlying motive of both religions. Um Rightly or wrongly, Christians believe that they only hold the answer to paradise, to salvation. And there are many instances in the Bible, there are many references they make in the Bible to underline this conviction. the Bible says, "I'm the way." Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but me." By me. So, this monolithic perception of the road to salvation was under, an underlying motive in the origin of all, in the origin of Christianity, and at the same time, the origin of Islam. So, in a situation where, in origin, each of the the two, I mean, the two. The, the, the two core religions believe very strongly that they hold the answer to salvation and that their way is the only way to paradise, their only way is the only way endorsed by God. So you realize that even in terms of their origins, the two religions actually are already at look ahead. And that is the first thing that, 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 that one has to, to take into consideration. The 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 emergence and the spreading of a doctrine that views uh, one's own way as the only way to getting access to God, which is is the origin of each of the two religions, uh, I think think is a fundamental cause of, 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 of future conflicts. Interestingly, it is only the traditional religion that endorses multiplicity of ways to salvation. It is only the, the, the traditional religion that recognizes that well, you may be a Christian, you may be a Muslim, you may be a traditional worshipper. That does not necessarily mean that uh, the 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 uh, the way to heaven is closed. So this is I think, this I think is so so it is the fundamental flaw embedded in the origin of these religions that gives the impression of a monolithic direction. To heaven, to paradise, to salvation, to God. That is what I think is at the core of most of many of the conflicts that subsequently engulfed the country.
1: Mm. Well, one, besides those conflicts, um, again, I was really interested and pleased to see in the book that you uh, obviously talk in the book a lot about uh, conflict between religions, but also conflicts within religions. Um, And so I was wondering if you could um, explain for us a bit about the key rivalries within Christianity and within Islam in Nigeria and how you think that those relate to violence in the name of religion.
0: Now, we need to be very careful about this question. And I'll try and explain what I mean by the need for caution. Um, Yes, there are, are rivalries within the religions but the extent to which they are associated with actual violence is a bit limited. It it, it, it it did occur, but it's limited. With Christianity, the first layer of rivalry may be said to be between the traditional churches and the Pentecostal churches. Um, on the doctrinal level, we we have we have doctrinal differences between them, but these in these did not actually result in actual violence. Um, it, 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 we had cases of um, rivalries, disagreements here and there, doctrinal misunderstandings, and but not actual violence. The actual violence, um, uh, looking at Christianity first before I go to other religions, the actual violence with Christianity uh, came uh, as a result of disagreements either within the churches. In other words, in a particular church, there may be disagreement over financial management, over allegations of a pastor trying to mishandle the finances, over positions, over offices, over how to replace a dead leader, a, 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 a general overseer that has recently died. So this, on, on on a number of occasions, actually resulted into violence. So that is, uh, that is what we have in terms of... But the, the rivalries did not, in most cases, did not result in violence if it is between... Um, the Orthodox churches, that is the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Methodists, and the Pentecostal churches like the Winners, the Redeem, there are no we, we never really had violent conflicts between them, just doctrinal disagreements. Uh, the violence actually, when it comes to Christianity, violence came as a result of disagreement within churches, or even disagreement over between churches located. In the same area, over converts, over one member stealing the member uh, stealing the congregation of the other. In that cases, we had instances of violent conflict. And the same thing with Muslim we Muslim, we had different sects. Um there were cases of where there were misunderstandings. Um, but more often than not, they did not actually result in violent conflict, except in minor instances where we are one part of the religion believes that the other is either not doing well enough or is not actually propagating the right doctrine as it was espoused by the founder of the religion. So we had that. But I must say here in the case of Islam, there are cases of where there are extreme uh, extreme actions uh, as it happened during the case of Metazine, where some individuals believe that others are not actually practicing the way that the, the way religion should be practiced. Um even during the Matatsini, we had some of Matatsini's followers bringing out the Quran, crossing out the name of the Holy Prophet, and inserting the name of uh, Allah Anna Matatsini there, saying that he has come to replace to replace the 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 holy prophet. So to answer your question, we had the rivalries. That was very common with both religions, but we did not have, but but not in many, not in all cases, did this actually result in violent violent conflict. But that's not to say that each of these religions uh, did not have violent activities, but in fact, um, they were largely uh, intra-faith, not necessarily intra, but there are cases of intra-faith violent activities. Mm
1: how in this sort of environment where there's so many different things going on, um, can you tell us about what impact do you think the rise of ethno-nationalism has had on um, religious violence, uh, both in terms of Christianity, Islam, and traditional religions as well? Um,
0: again, this needs to be put in perspective. Ethno-nationalist agitations in Nigeria um, did not come as a result of religion. In terms of the rise of ethnic nationalist activities, agitations in Nigeria, it had nothing to do with religion. It was largely a sense of agitation by specific ethnic groups that believe they are not having the best of, uh, of the equation within the nation. So that is what we think, that, that is the first thing that we need to put um, on the table when we are, when we are trying to decipher uh, the links. The second thing we need to point out is the whole issue of um, ethno-nationalism in the country is largely linked to two ethnic groups. Um, that is the Yorubas in the southwest and the Igbos in the southeast. Largely because these are the two ethnic groups that believe that they have been shortchanged. Or likely, or, or constantly being so changed, or historically being so changed, uh, in what is often interpreted as the uh, as uh, as uh, as the perceived domination uh, of, of 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 Nigeria by uh, the the Osa Fulani ethnic ethnic group. So, the first thing to take into consideration is, uh, ethno nationalism, in its origin, is not really a religious issue. However, because religion has penetrated almost everything in the country, and because religion, one way or the other, has been connected to political agitation in the country, definitely that was why um, religion crept into violent, et- uh, violent et- nationalism in the country. Now, going specifically to the question you raised, um, religion has been has become a factor. And this is largely because among the Yoruba in the Southwest, many people decided to go back to their traditional religion to get inspiration and support from what they consider to be the, 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 the traditional basis of their agitation. So instead of just being a Christian or a Muslim or so many people in, in, in the Southwest, or some people in the Southwest, let me put it that way, decided to go and explore and exploit traditional religion to get incentive that they can use against a perceived domination by a specific ethnic group in the country. So that explains why um, why in, 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 in Southwest Nigeria, many people went to join uh, the, 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 um, the, the 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 group that was that was fighting for 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 the agitation of the of the group that is the um, OPC the other people's Congress so that's it and because of that because they have been able to ensure the mobilization of quite a number of people, as a result of this wiping up of uh, ethno- uh, ethno-religious sentiments, they have implicitly targeted Christianity and Islam as the two religions that have historically dominated the country. Because all those who have led Nigeria right from independence to date have either professed to be a Christian or a Muslim. And the people are saying, these people that have professed to be christian or muslims have mismanaged the country and they are the basis for our agitation for self determination against this background that uh, many people especially in in, in the southwest and to, and and in, in recent times to also in this in, in the in the eastern part of the country have seen religion as a form of mobilization to fight perceived injustices that had been implicitly endorsed by Christianity and Islam.
1: Mm. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I think it goes back to what you're saying at the beginning of the kind of complexities of thinking about um, religion and religious violence in Nigeria, that these things are can be somewhat related or overlapping, but that that nuance is really important. Um, so thank you for explaining that. Um, and to kind of obviously the complexity and nuance continues, but we're going to move sort of from the southwest of Nigeria to the northeast. Um, and I'd love to ask you about Boko Haram, um, and specifically, given that your lens is um, much broader, you're not the book is not just focused on Boko Haram, um, and so you're able to put it into this context, which is really helpful. So, how is Boko Haram different from previous radical? Islam-based movements in Nigeria? Um,
0: that's a very interesting question. <laughs>
1: not an um, easy question either.
0: <laughs> it, 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 and, and it is not. It's really not. Um, but I'll try, I'll try and answer it as, as, as brief as I can. I mean, in a number of ways, Boko Haram is different from from previous um, cases of um, religious Violence in the country. Um, the first difference can be seen in the intensity. Um, the nearest we had to it was Metacene, but in terms of intensity, Boko Haram is actually very intense. Um, and also important is the length of activity, the length of operation. I mean. Boko Haram has been on for more than 10 years. We have, we have been into Boko Haram for many years now. We had as previous cases of <clears throat> of religious radicalization are just uh, taking place just within um, months or not even months. I'm talking of weeks in, in the past. So, <clears throat> so um, the intensity and um, the length of activity and the tactics. I always joke with my friends that before... Boko Haram that never been any case of suicide operation in Nigeria. No Nigerian, to the best of my knowledge, and I stand to be corrected, to the best of my knowledge, no Nigerian has ever committed suicide in just in, in, in the pursuit of a cause. We a love life. No Nigerian, it, it, it may be possible for a Nigerian to be fighting for a cause and to die in the process. We have several instances of that. But a Nigerian specifically going to say, I'm putting my life down, I'm going to commit suicide, I'm going to die because of this oppression. Um I don't have I, I don't have that until until Boko Haram came. So the old the whole issue of suicide as a way of agitation, as a way of, uh, of pursuing a cause, actually, first, first started with Boko with Haram, with and uh, and that is something that, um, that 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 is quite that is quite different from from um, from previous from previous cases. Now, talking about suicide, I I, I I I I just want to say something. We have had instances of people talking about child suicide bombers. Um, about child suicide bombers in Nigeria with Boko Haram, I think this is not the case. There cannot be a child suicide bomber. It is not possible. Suicide is an operation is a step you take, taking into consideration full realization of a particular cause. If a child is wired up and the bomb is detonated, and and there was a suicide operation, and and it it blows up, and um, people die. That is not a case of a child suicide bomber. That's a contradiction in terms. A suicide operation is an operation you have taken after realizing the ramifications of all the actions of your, all the underlying implications of your actions. When a child that does not, a, a, a nine-year-old child, a ten-year-old child that does not know many things, that does not know anything, that does not even know the struggle that is being wired to pursue, if, a child, if such a child is wired and a bomb is detonated, that is not a case of a child suicide bomber. The child has not committed suicide, the child has been killed. Mm-hmm. So, in talking about child suicide bomber, I think we should be very careful about that. So, that points me to the fact that the whole idea of using children as weapons of war, um, using children as 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 as, as, as tools that um that are used to um to to, to cause explosives. Um, those are the things that uh, that are quite different from previous from previous ones, and again. Another difference is the extent of the global network that uh, that Boko Haram has. No other case of religious radicalization, be it Christian, be it Muslim, any form of radicalization, no previous case um, can be compared to the extent of the global ramifications, global network that, um, that, uh, that Boko Haram has. So in terms of intensity, in terms of length of activity, in terms of tactics and strategy, and in terms of complexities of uh, operation of and the network of um, external engagement, Boko Haram is in, in the class of its own. Mm.
1: Thank you for explaining that. Um, and it's impressive that you can tackle such a question um, so clearly. So thank you. Um, as we kind of continue our tour, so first from the Southwest, now we've been to the Northeast. Um, I wonder if we can uh, discuss a bit about what you think the role of religion is or the interaction of religion um, in another ongoing conflict in Nigeria uh, around contests over land, over herdsmen, over pastoralism. Um, How do you see religion involved in that? Uh,
0: um, Let me first of all talk about the... Importance of the of the natural resource you have you have spoken about that is land. Um, Land is undoubtedly the most important natural resource in Nigeria, and indeed in any African country, because land in Nigeria is much more than an economic item. It is a religious item. It is a spiritual item. Um, land is considered as a place of birth. That is where their ancestors are buried. And that is the final resting place for any child born on its surface. So every society in Africa, in Nigeria especially, sees land as a natural resource that is held in custody for future generations. And the sacredness of this trust is at the center of many of the controversies that we talk about land. So Now, to talk about the... the, So that explains the sentimental attachment that individuals have uh, with land, and I'm going to come back maybe on that now. Now, to look at the headsman conflict. Again, we need to make something clear. The conflict between headsmen and farmer is in its actual manifestation a conflict between Two different set of professional groups, that is farmers and headsmen. So, in its origin, it is not a religious issue. However, because of the multiplicities of identities in this in, in the country, ethnicity, religion, political parties, and others have become interwoven into this conflict. So, you now have. Um, sort of a logical progression so if you're a farmer you are likely to be a christian you are likely to belong to this political party you are likely to do this because it is the case in many instances that is not to make a general rule out of it and there are implicit dangers if, 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 if one makes an attempt to just. Read the generality into, in, into the whole thing. That that may not be accurate. So, to answer your question, in the real sense of it, the the men farmer um, crisis is not a religious issue. It's a clash between two set of professional groups, but because of diversity of identity and uh, and others, it has it it has zoomed at a particular level a religious dimension. So, it is very likely that. A, a, a farmer is a Christian and a, 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 an headsman, is a Muslim. So if there is a clash between farmers and amen, instantly people say it one as a clash between farmers and enhancement, two as a clash between Christian and Islam, three as a clash between APC and PDP. Four, you know, so there are multiple layers of interpretation. That often come into this equation, but there are inherent dangers in this broad generalization that can <laughs> that can turn out to to create more complications than they are solving. Mm.
1: Important um, to to see and hear. So thank you for explaining that. Um, another aspect of your book that I'd love to ask you about is uh, the section where you talk about how religious violence in Nigeria has benefited from global religious violence, but also contributed to global religious violence. Um, So given that we sort of toured within Nigeria a bit, I was wondering if um, you could tell us about this international dimension.
0: Yes, thank you very much for that question, uh, Miranda. Um, In terms, yes, it's true that um, religious violence in Nigeria um, both benefited from and contributed to global religious violence. In terms of benefiting from, um, this comes in about three ways. The first is in terms of material and logistical support, which um, Boko Haram, and uh, uh, even before Boko Haram, which which, uh, historically religious groups, um, um, radical groups have have, have obtained from, from outside. Even during the case of Metazini, there are, Allegations, even though not established, that Libya under Gaddafi was uh, was one way are the other connected from it forever with it. So, in terms of material and logistical support, radical groups in Nigeria have benefited from from foreign from foreign from foreign um, from foreign support. So, the first one is um, in terms of material and logistical groups. The third is in form of doctrinal solidarity. The mere fact that you can identify doctrinally with another group, that gives um, an incentives and an internal mobilization for you to continue your insurgency. The mere fact that you can say, "Well, the cause I'm fighting for is also being fought of, is also being fought by groups in uh, Iran, groups in this, group in that," so. The doctrinal solidarity was a, was a very major, and and it still remains a very uh, major support, major support, a source of external uh, support for religious groups in Nigeria. The third one is the physical support. Um, it has not been established beyond any shadow of doubt that men from other parts of, uh, for, for men from outside Nigeria, individuals from outside Nigeria have been involved in, activities of Haram, maybe from chad from Niger, from whichever and there have been instances that have been recorded we are other uh, or, uh, other uh, uh, radical groups whether Mujao or others are Ak- queen have physically participated in operations undertaken by Haram. so in terms of uh, in terms of uh, um material and logistical support in terms of doctrinal solidarity and in terms of physical presence so these are the three ways that i think um um radical groups in nigeria have benefited from from um, from global religious violence in terms of um contributing to global religious violence i think i will also put that under three headings um one um supplying of materials and and logistical support to Islamist militant groups across West Africa. Boko Haram has been known to do that, Um, giving uh, support to smaller uh, radical groups, um, especially in the Sahel region, that is one thing. Uh, The second one is, um, exchanging of doctrinal solidarity with militant groups across West Africa, also trying to find out how it can consolidate external linkages with them, and again because of the, the resources um, at, uh, at at the disposal of um, uh, of, of, of Boko or Haram, it has assisted in in, in 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 taking part in this. So, and the third one that I want to say is, um, well giving support to smaller groups, especially in the Sahel. So those are the three ways that I think um, um, Boko Haram has also contributed to global religious violence.
1: Mm. Thank you for explaining those um, and for organizing it so clearly. I think that makes it very easy to understand uh, the different pieces and how they go together. Um, But of course, religious violence is not happening in a vacuum. We've already talked about different Um, parts of the country different uh conflicts sort of shorter longer term and obviously the international dimension uh but of course there's also a part of the book that helpfully talks about the reaction to religious violence and particularly what different governments in nigeria have done over the years to try and address religious violence and yet you show that um despite changes over time despite differences in religious backgrounds of different leaders uh pretty much all the different kinds of governments in Nigeria over time have had trouble addressing religious violence so why do you think this has been such a struggle
0: um i think it has been it has become a struggle because of the general the general attitude of nigerians that's the first thing As I try to argue in the book, Nigerians, to a large extent, are very religious, but almost totally godless. And subsequently, governments have found it difficult to come up with what is considered to be the best attitude to a set of people that outwardly manifests attachment to religion, but inwardly behaves in ways that are not particularly helpful to any eradication of religious conflict. But that's just at the background. In terms of the real um, um, answer, I think it's because to a very large extent, successive governments in Nigeria have either intentionally or inadvertently not addressed the issue with all the determination and with all the ways that they can they should have addressed it. Um, they they have always tried to come up with policies that are like the fire brigade in their attitude to see an issue, quickly address it and then and then you move on. For example, the way, and this is my opinion, which I understand to be corrected, I think the major mistake that we made in looking at religious radicalization, now in the case of Boko Haram, is that successive governments in Nigeria saw radicalization as an action, instead of seeing it as a process. So if it had been seen as a process, at different stages, attempts will have been made to stem the spread of uh, of this. At different stages, so um, not understanding the realities of a particular situation when it comes to religion is a major factor that um, that has explained that explain why the government has been having troubles with it uh, with religious violence and. And apart from that, apart from that, the attempt to satisfy um, ethnic attachment has been a major factor that has resulted in the inability to effectively resolve religious differences that ultimately result in violence. So those are the two reasons that I can talk about now. Uh, as regards why um, governments have not been able um, to address this problem.
1: Hmm. Certainly doesn't seem like an easy thing to resolve. Um, and so I'm guessing probably not going to be something, well, I think a lot of those complexities will remain in future. Does that sound likely, do you think?
0: Um, interestingly, no. Hmm. No, they may not. They, they may not. They they may not last. Um, they, they may not last uh, in, incredibly long. No, 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 no. Um, the first step in addressing any complexity is to identify it. After, it's, after it has been identified, the next thing is to identify ways of addressing addressing them. And I think that's it. With positive commitment, I think we can change quite a lot of things um the the problem really is that in, a, in 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 many societies uh whether in Nigeria or even here in England where I reside you realize that people are positively committed to negative things or negatively committed to positive things and this is not just a case of time with words but this is the reality in the situation with positive commitment i think is not a problem that uh, that that is that is insurmountable with right leadership positive commitment the determination of the people to address all the various contradictions i think nigeria will be there
1: Mm.
0: i strongly think so
1: Mm. okay
0: i'm I'm, I'm very 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 optimistic
1: well that's a wonderful note to sort of end on an optimistic one um so thank you for that um As my last question, really, uh, this book has obviously just come out and is the product of a lot of work and thinking um, on your part over a lot of time. Um, Is there anything that you're working on next or um, anything like that that you'd like to tell us a little bit about?
0: Oh, yes. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, I have a book coming out next month um, on religion, public health and human security in Nigeria. Mm. Uh, it's published by Routledge. It, it it it's coming out next month, and um, so 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 I have that. Um, and essentially, what I what I try to do there is um, to find out the extent to which um, people, or the extent to which Nigerians, out of believe in their religion. Have taken steps that affect their personal health and can also affect the human security of others. So, looking at how religious organizations, how religious, how faith um, impacted on how people see COVID 19, how um, the whole idea of um, 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 taking vaccine. Um, the issue of uh, miracle healing, um, uh, position of blood transfusion, uh, how religion determines things that can affect the health of the human security of individuals. Um, so 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 I, so that's something that I've just completed, and um, it's it, it's coming out next month, published by 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 Routledge. But apart from that, I'm doing something that is um completely um. Different from Nigeria, I think with with two books on religion in Nigeria in quick succession, I think i I should actually put if not a stop, at least a pause uh, <laughs> uh, uh, on that now. and then I have uh, I'm currently working on uh, on on South Sudan.
1: Mm. Interesting. okay, well, congratulations on your next book. Um, And hopefully if your project on South Sudan becomes a book as well, uh, maybe we can have you back and you can tell us about it then.
0: That would be a pleasure, Miranda. Thank you very much indeed for having me. And I've enjoyed every bit of this. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for being on the podcast.